Welcome to the Kinkle Fritz and Friends podcast. If you want to hear the show, you can find it on Family Life Radio. If you want to find a station near you, you can go to myflr.org or stream it online. Well, Allie Worthington is our guest today. Allie's known for helping women reach their dreams in business and life. She's a speaker, podcaster, and life and business coach. She's written several books, and her latest is called Remaining You While Raising Them, The Secret Art of Confident Motherhood. Welcome to the podcast, Allie. Thank you. It's great to be here. This is going to be so fun. So your book (laughs) is super busy on the cover. There's all kinds of stuff mom is doing there. Uh, It is. Like, Like all moms, we're always doing a lot of things. No kidding. So... Your title, Remaining You While Raising Them, The Secret Art of Confident Motherhood, uh, is this a little bit of a story of your life, too? I mean, tell us about your uh, your family. It is. It definitely is. I am the mother of five sons, and I have a grown stepdaughter. So stepmom, mom, uh, our house with all of the kids growing up was and is as loud and crazy as one would imagine with so many children. Um, it's been covered in sports equipment and dog hair and Legos and school books. And now with cars, so many children and so many vehicles. I mean, the whole thing's crazy. And what I learned through the years is that I have to take care of myself while I take care of my children, not just for my own self. But for the benefit of my children, too, that if more is caught than taught, I want to make sure I give everybody something healthy to catch. Well, that's a good point. (laughs) I mean, if uh, how much do children learn just by watching us? You know, Mm -hmm. it's it's funny. We like anytime that Father's Day rolls around. um, My mom taught me a lot of things just by talking to me. My dad, it was just by what I saw him do that I learned Mm -hmm. to be a good dad. Uh, you state that modern motherhood is broken. Why is modern motherhood broken? What What do you mean by that? Well, it's a crazy thing. I sent out a survey to learn about the women in my audience, what they were going through, what life looks like. And over a thousand women joined in with this in-depth survey of life. And over 96% of women said they struggled with mom guilt. So that was a huge wake up call that this is such a big issue, whether we think little things we do are, you know, ruining our kids life or we're just not doing things well enough. And then I asked, what is the single biggest factor of mom guilt? Is it from you? Is it from your spouse? Is it our mothers or mother-in-law? What is it? And the single biggest factor was social media. So not only do we have the pressure that culture puts on mothers and we put on ourselves, now we have this phone in our hands where we open it up and we are inundated with pictures, people we know, people we don't know, of people's highlight reels. And even though we know it's their highlight reel, we see the picture and everyone's in matching clothes and everyone's clean and they're smiling and even the dog is smiling. And meanwhile, we have a toddler or a teen having a tantrum and the dog has thrown up on the carpet because it ate a sock and we want to throw our phone across the room. So you have all of these pressures coming together, plus social media, and it has caused the majority of moms to feel like they're failing in some way. You know, that's huge. And as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking this includes dads, too. Yes. I mean, mean, you, you I love that you threw the mother-in-law in and then on top of it is social media. <laughs> you know, it's just amazing the pressures that are on us 
um, as we're trying to raise these precious kids. And I've been a mom for many, many years. So using that phrase confident mom was not at all what I was feeling most of the time as I was walking through this journey. I just felt like, man, let's count the ways I'm blowing it just today. (laughs) And uh, so I appreciate how much you share through your podcast, through this book, about the reality of your own life and what you've gone through and how your ministry even began. So maybe I'd like to take you back to that story of where did you even begin podcasting and talking and writing? Yeah, I was a stay-at-home mom, loved being a stay-at-home mom. And 2006, 2007, I was really on the forefront of social media coming about and blogging and just did it as a hobby because I loved staying home with my children, but intellectually I was a little bit bored. So I, I developed a little hobby in the background. And then in 2007, end of 2007, my husband lost his job. And in 2008, um, waiting for the right job, the recession came in, we ended up losing our home. Mm. Our home went into foreclosure. We lost our home. We lost everything we owned except what would fit into two small storage units. And we spent the summer of 2008 living with my grandfather. And we would drive to a McDonald's Playland every day to let the kids play. Now, mind you, my youngest Mm -hmm. is five weeks old. So like, there's a lot going on. And my husband would apply for new jobs. And I would Google, how do you build a business on the internet? Because I knew I wanted to stay home with my kids. But at the same time, I knew this was my season in life that it was time for me to build a business. So slowly through the years, this is over 15 years ago, I built my company, Helping Women Thrive, just in all areas of life and business a lot. I'm a business coach and have programs for women, but also for women who feel like they are called to write a book or feel like they're called to build a ministry. That's my passion. So God used this really difficult, dark season of our life and gave me a purpose into helping other women too. And there were seasons and times, of course, I felt like I shouldn't be building, you know, that I was dividing my energy between my kids and my work, but I never had the financial privilege to stop. And I think the Lord made it that way. So I would keep going because it's so easy for us as moms to go, I shouldn't care for myself. I shouldn't have this hobby. I shouldn't trying to be trying to follow this dream that God has placed in my heart because our default is always I'm selfish or I'm going to hurt my kids with this. And uh, my 16 year old was standing in my home office just a couple of years ago. And he referred to me as a stay home mom. And, and I said, buddy, I just traveled last weekend. I had a speaking engagement. I said, you're standing in my office, but do you think I'm a stay home mom? And he said, yeah, you're always here for us. And so it just shows that sometimes as moms, we're so hard on ourselves, but it's just fine with the kids. They're they're going to be just fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one thing that caught my attention, uh, the book, Remaining You While Raising Them, it's not really arranged like your typical how-to parenting book. I loved it. Um, <laughs> was kind of curious as to why you structured it like you did. I felt it was, you know, for me, easy to take in like the small bites. I think there's kind of a, a confidence building thing as you read through it. I loved the illustrations. Why did you choose to do it this way? It was really awesome and fascinating to me. Well, I wanted it to be something that women could pick up 
and read a few pages and and go, oh, I get it. And I have this little tool and this is going to help me. And I also wanted the illustrations because I wanted it to be fun. When I surveyed my audience about um, motherhood and what their experiences are in the past, I asked them, when was the last time you read a book on motherhood? And nobody had. Everyone said, oh, well, I've read a parenting book. But a lot of people with the parenting book said, I couldn't finish the book because it made me feel so bad about myself. Like I, I couldn't live up to, to the all the things you have to do to be a good mom and raise good kids. And that's really what pushed me to go, okay, this is my next book. Because there's never been something for moms that goes, here's how to take care of you and the natural overflow of you investing in yourself and your mental health and emotional health and your relationships, the natural overflow of that is going to be a healthier, happier household. And your children will benefit from it. That the truth about motherhood is it's more about who you are than what you do. And there's been all oh. of these resources thrown at mom saying, you need to do all of these 10 things and you're not doing enough and you better do this. But the truth is, it's more about who you are. And it's not just a list of things that moms, quote unquote, need to do. I really appreciated that you included six things moms need for mental health. Now, I personally am not a mom. I do struggle with mental health issues, though. So I was reading that and going, yep, yep. <laughs> how <laughs> How is it that you were, you know, like, what, what was it that kind of triggered that, that made you aware of these six things? Well, I'll tell you, this book, I wanted to be really careful that it wasn't a book of just my stories and my opinion. So I had about four or five Christian therapists and counselors who were my brain trust for this book. So I would really go to them and go, hey, make sure everything I'm saying is right. Because the last thing I want is a Christian counselor to come to me one day and go, oh, this was bad advice. You know, <laughs> um, <laughs> That's not going to help no. anybody. So I went to them and said, I want I want to be able to give women something that we all need for our mental health, something that doesn't take a lot of time and something that doesn't take money. So it was as simple as making sure we're drinking water, making sure we're sleeping, making sure we move our body, practicing breath work. These, these things that for most of us, we go, yeah, yeah, I know that, but we don't actually do to take care of ourselves. And that's the thing, no matter how much time you have, no matter how your budget looks, all of these things we can practice to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves. You mentioned you surveyed thousands of people. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm kind of an uh, analytic nerd geek. So what, what was your purpose? What were you doing this and what did you learn? I wanted to find out if there was a need for this book. Because if I had surveyed them to say, what, what was the last book you read on motherhood? And everyone gave me a book and said it was great. I went, oh, well, it's been done. Okay. But it was the combination of the fact that people are not producing anything for mothers after a mother gives birth to a baby. You mm -hmm. think about your body while you're pregnant, and then there's this idea that you take care of yourself when they're little, and then you just kind of put yourself on the shelf, and what happens, happens. But for moms, we really need to be investing in ourselves when our children are little, when they're you know tweens and teens, and when they're adults, because for my husband and I, our children who are adults, it was a huge shock to us that we can't guilt them into visiting whenever we want them. <laughs> I remember looking, I had to look at my husband and go, wait, yeah. we have to work on ourselves because we have to woo them home. They have to want to spend time with us. And there, there's this concept that 
so many women have that we don't want to be selfish. We don't want to take time for ourselves because everything needs to be devoted to the kids. But when everything is devoted to other people and we don't work on ourselves, we end up kind of a shell of ourselves. So there needs to be a balance there. And, and I think I think that's the smart thing to do, whether your child is two or your t- child is 32. Mm-hmm. That's like good. That. Well, you can't, uh, what do they say? You can't, you know, pour from an empty cup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you got to, you know, well, like we talk, talk about on the airplane, put the oxygen mask on your face first and then your children. <laughs> um, you talk about mom guilt. I mm-hmm. I don't know if you know this. I suffer from dad guilt. I uh, I think a lot of dads do. I don't know yeah. if they if just talk about it as much as, as maybe moms do, but I have a daughter diagnosed with multiple special needs and it's never ending what we could do for her. Mm-hmm. And it's never ending what I could do with her. And I, I'm there are days. Well, even with our teenage son, it's like, wow, am I just stinking it up in here? Am I, <laughs> <laughs> am I being a good dad? Uh, I don't know how to deal with that and how to, sometimes I really struggle with, it. I'll just be real with you. How do, yeah. What causes that guilt? And then how do we deal with it? I think what causes that type of guilt, I think that's a normal, healthy guilt. Like that's a, I, I wouldn't even almost call that so much guilt because that's, oh, I wish I could do more. I'd love to spend more time. It's the kind of guilt that's so dangerous is I'm completely messing up my children for life. I didn't do that family devotional. Well, their future's over. I, you know, I, I raised my boy. You know what I mean? I mean, that, this this is what goes on in women's heads all yeah. the time. Yes. You know, uh, we're we're kind of culturally trained to think this way, and it's super unhealthy. But I think I think for you, those are are natural, normal feelings. And as a dad, to say, I wish I had more time. I wish I could even do more. Uh, I think that's great as a dad, but in terms of in terms of us feeling guilty, I'll tell you a quick story. When my kids were younger, I saw on YouTube this man who gave this concept of a marble jar, and you put in so many marbles, and each marble represented a week of your child's life before they turn eighteen. And so I got a marble jar because that's what a good mom does, right? I told my husband about it. He said, that's a great idea. And every week I would take out a marble and go, am I stewarding my time well? Am I using all of my moments to the best of my ability? And it made me miserable. I mean, it made me miserable. I had a, an older mom come over, a neighbor, and she said, hey, what's that giant jar of marbles in your kitchen? And I gave her the spiel. I said, I want to steward my time well, and I want to make every day count with my kids and make memories because they're going to turn 18 one day. And she said, that sounds like a recipe to make moms feel terrible. And I said, <laughs> it, it, it's terrible. I hate it so much. And she said, for some moms, that could be helpful. But for a lot of moms, that's just, it's it's making you feel all the time like you're not doing a good enough job. So the time you have isn't good enough. But she said, also, it discounts the truth that God placed us with our children on purpose. He is He is not surprised at how much time we have or how we're raising our children. We're, we're together by divine design. And Also, she laughed. Her kids are grown. She said, you don't lose your kids when they turn 18. You're going to be parenting your kids for the rest of their life. There is not a magic time that you say goodbye. And she didn't know this because the research has come out since, but our kids' brains don't even stop developing till 25, 26, or 27. 
there are so many lessons and so many memories to make with our kids that we can't even do it until they're in their mid-20s. So I think the pressure of only have 18 summers, only have mm-hmm. this, only have that. Now that I have some of my kids are still in school and home and some of mine are grown, it's even better when they're grown. So I think it's just this this push to make every moment magical makes both moms and dads subtly feel like we're failing. When a lot of life isn't magical, a lot of life is just sitting around the table and talking about the day and snuggling up and watching a TV show or wiping tears away. And I think that's what it should be. That's good. Cleaning up messes. Yeah. Yeah. So many messes. Yeah. Can we skip to where they're grown? (laughs) (laughs) Then the messes just change. I know. Yeah, exactly. For a husband. He picks up me all the time. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You encourage us to discover our own mothering style and labels. Usually I'm like, oh, I don't know. These I found so reassuring because I'm like, oh, look, there I am. You've got the caring mom, the ride or died mom, the protector mom, the idealist mom, the cheerleader mom. Tell me about developing those. I know we don't have forever, but tell us a little bit about how you came up with those. Yeah, I have a quiz on my website that I developed with a therapist just to find out like what are some common strengths women have and how can we identify those strengths and then really reinforce them to let women know, hey, you have your own style of mothering and parenting, and that's the way it should be. I mean, it can, this isn't part of the quiz, but I like to use this example. My cousin is very outdoorsy. She's an outdoorsy mom. They're always hiking or kayaking or doing things that I couldn't be paid to do. You really, I, I, just, I wouldn't do that. I don't want to go outside. Unless I'm at an amusement park, like I'm, I'm an amusement park mom. I want to go to the zoo or I want to go to Disney or I want to, you know, I want to go to Dollywood. I want to do fun things like that, like or movie theaters, even that's my thing. But if I live my life going, oh, the best kind of mom is an outdoor mom and I'm failing my kids because I'm this kind of mom, then I'm never going to lean into my strengths. You know, I, I was never a crafty mom. I never did crafts with my kids. It just so many boys, it just would have turned into weapons anyway. (laughs) So what was the point? (laughs) But some women are great at crafts and they Uh love and they can lean into that. But it's just a reminder for us to think about, you know, how are we created? How are, how are we made? What's in our DNA to, to be like, and lean into that and not look at the strengths that other women have and think it's better. It's just different and different. okay. You made this statement that I thought was so powerful for all of us, honestly, as as we're trying to get through life, I didn't have to do more to be a better mom. I just had to be a better me. I loved that. That's a very deep realization. How did you come to that? Yeah, for me, it was spending a lot of time with a Christian counselor and working through things because I went through burnout as I think every mom, whether she's a stay-home mom or working at home or working outside the home, there comes a time in every mom's life where we go, I just, I feel numb. I've, I've been giving and giving and giving. And I don't really feel sad. I don't really feel all that happy. I'm just kind of numb. So I spent a lot of time with a Christian counselor working through things. And so our focus was mental health. And it really inspired me to go on this journey for emotional health for moms. I consider emotional health the combination of mental health, spiritual health, and relational health, how our relationships are. And what it taught me 
is is kind of what we've been discussing that motherhood isn't just what we do it, it's who we are that we can quote unquote do all the right things but if we aren't doing well inside it is going to affect our family i remember when i was 8 i went to go for an extended family's christmas celebration my aunt shirley was hosting it and i love my aunt shirley uh i got there and i learned really quickly that she had been cooking for 3 days i i knew cuz she told everybody now she was smiling <laughs> And she was sweet, but I knew something was wrong. Like she was being loving to her kids and the extended family. I couldn't put my finger on it because I didn't have the life experience or the language at age eight to know what was up. But I remember thinking, I don't know what's going on here, but I don't want my life to be this way. And it wasn't until I was older that I learned that she actually hated hosting those big gatherings. She didn't like doing it all. And she never felt like she would be a loving mom or that she had permission to raise her hand and say, hey, can everybody bring a dish or can we switch off year after year? She felt like that wouldn't be her being a good mom. But because of that, because of this mold, she felt like she had to fit into. She ended up through through the years getting kind of bitter about hosting it. Oh, and she was unhappy, and she kind of made everybody that would come to the Christmas celebration unhappy, too. Even though she did everything from a place of love, even though everything she was doing is because she genuinely loved everybody and wanted to have a good time, because she didn't feel like she had permission to have her needs met and take care of herself, nobody had a good time. And there's been so many times in my life I've been Aunt Shirley. I, as I've talked to women over these months talking about motherhood, they all go, oh, I'm Aunt Shirley, or I was Aunt Shirley then. And if I can help give other women permission and say, it is good and healthy for you to have your needs met and to take care of you, and not only are you going to benefit, but everybody in your life benefits from it, that's the best thing I can do. You know, you talk about burnout, and um, you said that emotionally healthy parents will raise emotionally healthy children. It's the best chance of doing that. What mm -hmm. about those that might be listening that are dealing with mental health issues? And I don't know that you're always, a lot of times, my wife deals with anxiety and depression and she has some PTSD as well. Um, is, is that a concern? Are we still gonna raise good kids if we're not always completely fixed? <laughs> I think actually we, our kids are even healthier if we are normal humans who deal with mental health issues, because almost everyone does. It is the people who have mental health issues, which again, almost everybody has their thing. Sure. It's the people who have it, but push it down and deny it or don't deal with it or mm -hmm. don't get help. That's where the damage happens to children because children don't need us to be perfect. Uh, one of the myths in the book is that um, moms can do it all. And I say, if, you know, I'm a huge fan of Wonder Woman, her gold cuffs, she does everything amazing. But if Wonder Woman was a mother, she would completely mess up her children because she wouldn't <laughs> make mistakes, right? Yep. She wouldn't <laughs> empathize with them. She couldn't teach them about struggles. She couldn't show them how to make mistakes well and repair those mistakes and repair relationships. The kids would get out in the world and go, oh, I can't deal with this. Everyone's terrible. So perfection from parents is not helpful to children. The best thing for children is for children as they get older and their maturity allows 
to see parents struggle, to see parents make mistakes, but then fix them, to have honest conversations about depression and anxiety and PTSD and and all of these things that people deal with. They go, this is what it's like. And to always remind children, it, it doesn't have anything to do with you. It has to do because I'm a person that lives on earth, but here's how I manage it. Here's how I get through it. Because it is very rare to raise a child from birth to age 18 without something happening that's pretty terrible to them because mm-hmm. just yeah. the world we live in two of my children have chronic illnesses for instance and it is it we show out and my husband has an illness we show our children how we deal with things and it gives them a roadmap for what it can look like for them to deal with things so we don't need perfection perfection would hurt our children we need us to just be the best version of ourselves that we can be. Yeah, and I think as long as, you know, when your parent, when your kids see you mess up, mm-hmm. as long as you're saying you're sorry yeah. and you love them and they know that you love them, I think that's the most important thing. My mom always did that. I have friends whose parents never, ever apologize for anything, and I think that's a disconnect there. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think we can look at the previous generation. It wasn't taught to them to apologize when they made mistakes and um, for mental health issues none of that was taught and none of that was in the open Mm -hmm. i mean one thing that we've done in our generation that's so amazing is we've brought it all into the forefront and said hey we all have stuff let's go deal with it and be healthier so i think that our generation is so much healthier than the past and i'm excited for our children's generation to be even healthier than we were um, it, it's it's a it's great to be a link in that chain. That's good. That's I like awesome. That. You know, you talk about the difference between broken soundtracks and replaced soundtracks. Expand yeah. that for us. Well, I think we all know that the voice that we hear the most in our lives is our own voice in our head, and we can think of them like soundtracks that play on repeat. Uh, it's a message that goes over and over again. And everyone has them. And, you know, sometimes it's nothing ever works out for me. And a lot of times we get a broken soundtrack from a parent or a teacher or somebody influential in life or something happens when we're younger and it becomes this moment in time that sticks with us and gives us a soundtrack. But if it's broken, if it's not true, like, for instance, nothing ever happens for me, if we don't replace it, we will teach our children those broken soundtracks. So even something as simple as the soundtrack of nothing ever works out for me. Um, One of my coaching clients developed her own version of that, and I took it as my own too. And it's God is always working things out for me. So no. So whenever I want to tell myself nothing ever works out for me, God's always working things out for me. I can't see it. I don't know when it's when everything's going to get fixed, but I know that to be true. So just spending time going what are my soundtracks and then kind of kind of being like an attorney and and putting them on trial and going now this one right here is this actually true or is this just a feeling or is this some message that someone spoke over me when i was younger and just examining those and identifying which ones are broken and then intentionally beginning to replace them like i have god is always working things out for me on a post-it note and my bathroom mirror it's one of the first things i see every morning and it takes a while to replace those broken soundtracks, but it's really powerful when it starts to become the new habit and a healthier habit. That's good. That's uh, taking the, every thought yeah. captive. That's what that right. is. Yeah. 
Yeah. You use that word Mm -hmm. intentionality. I'll also add the willingness to let it go. Because sometimes they're like a little comfort blanket, you know? I'll just hold on to it because it's sort of my excuse. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) talk to myself right now. So, (laughs) but um, I don't want to miss out on your magic question habit. Talk to me about that. Page 157 in your book. I just think it's so important. It kind of boils everything down so well. Yeah, I think when we talk about self-care, self-care has been hijacked with pedicures and bubble baths and and all pedicures and bubble (laughs) baths are fine. (laughs) But a pedicure and a bubble bath isn't going to help you become emotionally healthy. You know what I mean? So uh, Mm -hmm. what we're talking about in this book is really radical self-care and and self-care that's going to move the needle for us. I mean, maybe the pedicure is so amazing that it changes our personalities, but I don't think so. Um, we really need to do things that that are going to change us. And and one of the first things that we can do and the most powerful things we can do is get in the habit of checking in with ourselves. Uh, what mm-hmm. I what I wished Aunt Shirley felt like she had permission to do back in the day. And that's just I ask myself a couple of times a day. I have a pop up on my phone that reminds me to do it. And with this simple question, what do I need right now? Mm-hmm. Because if the question were, what do I need? Most of us will go, I have no idea. I haven't thought about what I need in a million years. So the simple version of what do I need right now, it gets us in the mindset that we are worthy of care, just like our children are worthy of care, just like that everyone else in our life is worthy of care. We are children of God. We are worthy of care too. And it models that for our children, for our daughters, that they are worthy of care. It models that for our sons. But that check-in could be, oh, I need to get a glass of water. Or I need to make sure I have lunch with a friend this weekend because I'm lonely and I haven't seen my friend in a long time. Or I need a housekeeper because this place is gross. Whatever it is, it can be something big. It can be something little. But getting in that true self-care habit of asking ourselves, what do I need right now? It will unlock so much. Because for me, I found if I didn't check in with myself about what my needs were, at the end of the day, I would see my husband and he'd go, hey, babe, how are you? And I'd bite his head off. Had nothing to do with him, but just because I wasn't taking care of myself. And if during the day I'm checking in going, I'm feeling kind of lonely. I want to connect with a friend or I want to go out to dinner tonight. I don't want to make dinner. I'm not going to bite his head off. I'm going to go, I felt kind of lonely and I feel kind of overwhelmed. Let's go out to dinner. So it's just this process of honoring our needs, knowing that we are people of value and deserve care just like everybody else. So not only do we benefit from this, everybody who comes in contact with us can benefit from it too. Because then once we do it, you can model that for your kids and teach that to your kids, whether they're two, well, maybe not two, maybe five or 55. And if everyone is checking in with themselves going, how am I doing? What do I need right now? I think that that's a game changer for every relationship. And that dinner probably tastes better than your husband's head. hundred and ten percent. There's a great uh, meme going around social media right now where it has a woman at a Mexican restaurant and over and she's eating and over the top says, if your wife is grumpy, take her to Mexican. She'll never she won't be grumpy anymore. And I thought. That is some of the best advice I've ever seen go through exactly. on social media. Yeah. Mexican food covers a multitude <laughs> so of sins. I've yes. been unhappy. Yeah. I've had tacos. Those two have never gone together. <laughs> right? Yes. Right? I can't be unhappy with tacos. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate your transparency, by the way. Um, and I want to thank you for that because it's just, it's nice 
to know you're not alone. And I know that so many moms and wives and women see themselves in the things that you share. So thank you for that. Uh, you know, you you tackled marriage and talked about what a surprise it was that you and your husband, Mark, <laughs> you were like, after 25 years of marriage, here we are in a marriage counselor's office, not something we were expecting. No, we realized that we were really good at co-leading the organization called Family. So we were just running ahead <laughs> in the future. Our conversations would be about, you know, practice and bills and all of those things that life turns into. But it took a marriage counselor to teach us how to really open up and have conversations about us and with each other and to be vulnerable because out of, you know, over two decades of just taking care of everyone, we had to reconnect. And that's such an important, for me, it was such an important part of me as a mother because it took care of me emotionally. Um, and it people were surprised, for instance, that in a book about motherhood, I did take a chapter about marriage and about strengthening our marriage. But what I did with um, all of the therapists was go, hey, what are the factors in a woman's life that's going to make her really happy? Let's invest in those, you know, self-care, her friendships, her marriage. Let's invest in those because, again, the natural overflow of us taking care of ourselves is happier and healthier kids, emotionally healthier. Yeah, that's good. One thing that surprised me, 69% of marital conflict doesn't get resolved and nope. that's okay. <laughs> Talk yeah. about that real quick. Wait a second. What? That's a shocker. <laughs> yeah. Research shows 69% of it never gets resolved. It's the way you want noise in the bedroom and your spouse doesn't, or the way your spouse puts his clothes on the floor or the way he puts the trash in there or deciding, you know, how to spend time together that it's not the it's not the fact that we have conflict with our spouse that is a bad thing in marriage but it's how we manage it. And one of the cool things that I share is research that says for every negative interaction in um with a spouse, we need five positive interactions. So it can be something as small as like bringing your spouse a candy bar if they like a candy bar or smiling at them across the room but Every time we have one that's negative, we need to balance it with five good ones. And that can be a wink. It can be a candy bar. It can be, hey, let's watch your favorite show, whatever it is. But it's something to be aware of because conflict is going to happen. Conflict is natural and normal. It's good for us to talk about it and get things through. But then we pile on the positives. So when you're thinking about your spouse or you're thinking about your marriage, there's all these little great positives. And yeah, there's an occasional negative in there, but your ratio will be healthy. And that that adds to a much healthier and happier marriage. I like that. Five positives. And if you do enough of the positives, mm -hmm. the next negative might not happen. Yeah. It might That's true. slide right over that one. <laughs> it might just go right on by. <laughs> exactly. Kind of grease the skids there. Um, you know... There are moms listening right now and, you know, they might be in traffic on the way to work or dropping the kids off at school or a lot of times we have uh, grandmas that have become mom. And mm -hmm. uh, what's something practical that they could do right now that would change this for them? Something very simple, aside from that magic question habit, would be making sure that they are spending time with friends who make them feel better after they see them than before they started. Ooh, so that's because, a good qualifier of a good yes. friend then. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you're spending time with people who are, you know, kind of nitpicking you or subtly putting you down and, and hiding it as a joke, all of those things, those are red flags. 
You want to find the one or two people in your life who, when you talk to them on the phone or you go over to their house or you have coffee with them, you feel seen, you feel known, you feel emotionally safe, and you feel better at the end of that interaction than before you began. That's a crucial factor in emotional health for women. It's just having one or two safe, strong friendships that we can invest in that pour back into us. It's something easy, easy to do in the grand scheme of things. Again, this isn't a book that tells women we need to do 10 things to be good moms. It's just, it's a book to help take care of women because women take care of everybody else. Amen. Remaining you while you raise them, the secret art of confident motherhood, Allie Worthington. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Good stuff. Thank you for having me. This has been great. Thanks for listening to the Kinkle Fritz and Friends podcast heard on Family Life Radio. We would appreciate it so much if you could rate, review, and subscribe wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. You can also find more exclusive content at myflr.org and FLR Mornings on both Facebook and Instagram. And if you support Family Life Radio, thank you.